Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Are you tired of doing the same workouts day in, day out? Well, check out the Peloton app. Wherever you are, whatever your mood, the Peloton app has something for you. Lunch hour power walk, park Pilates, beach yoga. The Peloton app has it all. Try it today. Download the Peloton app and get your first 30 days free. New paid memberships only, starting at $12.99 a month after trial unless canceled. Terms apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. February is Women in Horror Month, and to honor that, and in honor of that, we wanted to use this month to highlight women working in the horror industry, from directors to actors to writers. This week, our special guest is the multi-talented Bria Grant. She's an actress, a writer, director, producer, and podcaster, just to name a few. Genre fans will know her from her indie work to her roles on Heroes and Dexter. You can see her in Jeremy Gardner's upcoming romantic horror film After Midnight, which will be released on February 14th. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. One of the things that we always like to talk about is, uh, do you remember what your first introduction to horror was? And were you a fan of it growing up? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have that like teenage girl going to a slumber party thing where we would rent, Hmm. you know, scary movies and watch them. And we would sort of just raid the... We had a blockbuster when I was older, but when I was a teenager, it was called Two Day Video. So we go to the Two Day Video and we would like go to the horror section and just grab whatever. So I saw a lot of random horror movies that I don't super remember around (laughs) that era. Um, And then I uh, was a teenager in the 90s. So I got to have that wonderful like 90s time of of horror movies so you know saw scream in the theater um oh, yeah. 28 days later i remember seeing that oh, in like my yeah. hometown movie theater so like all those movies would come and it was like the greatest time to be a teenager as far as horror movies went 
Yeah, I'm with you there because like uh, I think I think we're I think we're the same age and like uh, um, so I I grew up in the in the 90s as well. So I'm I'm very familiar with going out and like grabbing a whole bunch of horror movies and then spending the weekend just binging on them. <laughs> it was kind of a nice time in the in the 90s with that. Yeah, for sure. And I think it was just like a time where like what you did on a weekend was you went to the local video store and you were just like, what's here? And there's not that many new movies. So you would get like, you'd go through like the entire horror section or the entire sci-fi section, which I did as well, and kind of just get all of those those movies to watch at home. Oh, yeah. And uh, and you um, <laughs> and even if the movie was bad because you've rented it, you bought it, you're probably going to watch it to the very end. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, you at least watch it for a while, especially if you're at like a slumber party or something, you have it on in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so have you always wanted to be involved in the film industry or how did that how did that bug kind of hit you? No, I mean, let me think. Well, I guess for a minute I was I was in grad school and I was going I was getting a degree in history, a master's degree in history. Oh. I have a master's degree in history, but um, I was really not enjoying it. And I was like 20, however old you are in grad school, 23 or something and was like, I think I want to do something else with my life. And I did local theater when I was a kid in like the small town I grew up in. And so I was like, maybe I'll take an acting class. And that was what sort of was like, oh, I should try something else before I just do this, you know, uh, like academic thing. You know what I mean? Like it was like the (laughs) academic thing, I mean, which is also super hard. And I just had the realization in grad school that I was like, everyone here is better at this than I am. So I'm going to go and pursue acting, which is also super hard, but at least, you know, it'll be something I'm way more passionate about. So yeah, I moved to LA when I was like 24, 25 and started pursuing it then. That's so oh, funny cool. because I just finished my master's degree and w- thinking I was going to go into academia and would noped the fuck out and was like, no, thank you. No master, no academia for me. And now I work in social media for an animal shelter. There <laughs> so, you like, go. That's great. Like, <laughs> I still write and do the podcast, obviously, but like I had the very similar realization where I was like, this is just not for me. I'm not cut out for this life. It's a uh, really, look, I work in the, I work in the film industry, you know, and it's yeah. like, and I'm like, but the most cutthroat place I've ever been was in the University of Texas American Studies grad student department. You okay. know? Grad students don't fuck around, though. Like, no. grad students are <laughs> vicious creatures, and they are mean, and they will tell you when they think you are stupid without hesitation, and it is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and I am not a person with, like, a great memory for things. Like, there's so many things that I felt like I just, like, there are people who just have these encyclopedic knowledge, have, like, this, like, you know, knowledge base they could pull from about like what they've read and the like the the theories they know and stuff. And I was just like, oh, I'm so far behind. Like, I'm never going to know all this stuff. <laughs> I actually weirdly feel the same way about improv where I quit that very early. And it was like a totally great move for me. <laughs> improv is so fucking hard. Yeah. Um, so you have worn so many different hats in the film world. You've been you've written, you've acted, you've produced and you've, been, and you've directed. You've done so much. Um, what's been your favorite role to play on set? Um, for film? It just depends on the project. <laughs> I, I know that's like the lamest answer because no, I'm sure everyone's like, like, it would be so much easier for you, everyone listening, my representation. <laughs> everyone would be so happy if I would just like pick something. But I guess the pretentious answer is that I'm just sort of an artist and like there's certain things I like to do on certain projects. There's definitely certain projects where I'm there. I'm like, yeah, I couldn't direct this or I couldn't act in that role. You know, I'm, I'm much better, you know, for the writing of this or the producing of this or or like whatever. So it's like I think in certain projects, it just some, some things just make more sense for me to do than other things, if that makes that makes more sense. And I'm always sort of trying to challenge myself. So I think 
one of the last things I started doing was directing, I guess, sort of. And that's like <laughs> one of those things where like now I'm like, you know, pushing myself to do more of that and different types of stuff of that. So I'm, I'm always like sort of pushing myself to attempt something different. And I think cool. if I didn't, I would just get bored. I, I know it's so silly. <laughs> no, I thought, like, like, that makes sense though. I like that answer because I just feel like I, it's cool to see you branch out into so many different things. Now you do comic book writing. It's like you're an artist. Like you said, you're an artist and you like to try new things and put on different hats to put it in like a silly metaphor. But yeah, yeah I love and it that. It makes me it's so, cool. so easy to work with too because I'm just sort of like, <laughs> I'm very like aware of all the positions now at this point. So I'm very ah. patient with a lot of stuff. I mean, not always. Uh, uh, but I, for the most part, I'm like, oh, I'm just like, it, it, it makes me more appreciative of everything that happens on set now that I've been in a lot of different roles. Cool. Speaking of your different roles, um, I, and this is mainly a horror podcast, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Eastsiders, which just wrapped its fourth and final season. It's true. Oh, it's such a good show. I love that show. How did you get involved with it? So it's on Netflix. Please go yep. watch it. It's so good. <laughs> it's an LGBTQ drama. So... Um, kind of strange because I do so much in the horror world, but I ended up on that show because I know Kit Williamson, who's the showrunner. This is He's the so way this, all this shit works. But like, I he was like in my first movie that I directed, and he was like, "I'm gonna make this web series." And this was, I don't know, a million years ago, which is really only like six years ago. But um, <laughs> and he was like, he was like, "I'm gonna make this web series." And I, before everyone had a web series, but a lot of people did, whatever. And he was like, um, <laughs> "I have like a one day role where you can play it, and also can we shoot in your apartment?" And I was like, <laughs> "Of course," because. You know, why not? Um, yeah, we'd never do that now. But at the time, I was, you know, living alone and didn't care. And uh, so it started that way. And then season two, he sort of wrote this huge storyline for my character. And then in season three, I came on as a producer and helped make the show. I'm not in season three. And then this last season, he approached me to be a producer again and I and to play, a, and to play the role I had been playing. But also to – he had a writer's room for the first time. The first three seasons – I mean, this is just a lesson for anyone creating out there. The first three seasons he wrote all by himself, which is crazy. Oh, my God. Crazy. Oh, wow. yeah. And he directed all of them. And so wow. I joined the writer's room and with essentially the caveat of I really want to direct an episode. And so I'm the only person who's ever directed an episode that's not him. Um, oh, wow. And so I did, a, I did an episode this season as well. You did. Um, it's amazing. So good. It was it's a good super, episode. It's a super fun show. And I, I, uh, he has more stuff coming, though. So it's like we haven't seen all of his voice. His voice is going to be out there for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I, what I loved about it is because um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gay. And I, it, it's, it approaches a queer life in such a genuine and realistic way that doesn't shy away from the messiness of it. Because it's a, it's a messy thing sometimes. Yeah, that was sort of his goal, which I really liked. It was one that he hadn't really seen. He felt like the the gay at that time that you saw, either like the queerness you saw on television was very like sort of like party West Hollywood world. And instead he was like this like, you know, East Side hipster. He was like, but what do my yeah. lives look like? So he kind of built that out. But then from the very beginning, he was like, he wanted to show what it looked like to be in an open relationship or what it looked like yeah. when you got cheated on and things like that. Which, you know, got a mixture of responses, but I think it was very true to what he knew and, mm -hmm. you know, dark in a, like a, in a great way, you know? Yeah. And so kind of transitioning to like the other side of, <laughs> of like, of your work, you have a new movie coming out um, on February 14th, Valentine's Day, uh, can you which is called After Midnight. Um, can you tell our listeners what the film is about? Yeah, so it's Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella are the directors who did 
The Battery, which I'm sure yes. your listeners have seen. It's a mm-hmm. great zombie movie if they haven't seen it. Um, and I call this, I don't know what they're calling it, but I've been calling it a romantic monster movie. Yes. That feels uh, right. That feels okay. right. Have you seen it? Yes. Oh, yes. We okay. both saw- have. I sobbed. Oh, great. Oh, yay. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because it's a monster movie that you're going to sob in. Right. I, I love it. I, I love that. I was like, this is my kind of thing. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, it's very much my thing, too. I'll tell you, when I read the script, I sobbed. And I was like, what do I have to do to be a part of this movie? And I was like, so insistent on it. Uh, and they were not even sure they wanted me at that point. And, um, but you were like, but you do I, want me, please. I fought, trust me. I really fought for it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's great. It's, um, basically Jeremy's character. Um, it opens with him, uh, his girlfriend played by me has left and you don't really know why, you don't know what's going on. And then this monster keeps coming to his house after midnight every night and attacking his house. And that's sort of the premise, which is sounds yeah. very simple, but it has a lot of like flashbacks and um yeah, and then things go haywire, you know. Yeah. I, I saw this back um when it um, I think when it premiered at Tribeca and oh, it was yeah. called Something Else. Yes, I know. <laughs> and um I'm I'm glad that it, it had a title change, um, because this uh this definitely is more evocative of the movie. But what I remember when I when I saw it, um it really hit me how much, even though this is technically a Jeremy Gardner film, it's all about his character. Abby is basically the heart of this of this movie. And mm-hmm. even though you're not in every scene, the character like lingers throughout the entire film. You, you can't not think about about Abby, even when she's not on screen. Oh, that's really nice of you to say. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh... Just regarding the title, something else was the hugest uh, who's on first situation where we were constantly <laughs> like, I'm in this movie, something else. And they're like, people are like, what? Um, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, that was I mean, I think that was a really deliberate effort of Jeremy and Christian and the way they shot it. All the scenes that like I'm in, it's mostly like of you don't see Jeremy that often in those scenes. Like if you no, watch it, yeah. it's a lot of me, him looking at me, like his point of view of me. So it's very much mm-hmm. like his memory of of the abby character um and they're so sweet they they always tell me i'm the heart of the movie and like you know you're an actor in these movies and jeremy and christian are obviously like the uh the creative force of of that movie like in a huge way but Mm -hmm. because they were they're so kind and they're so open they like I did all their press with them, like at Tribeca, and they kept inviting me to like do stuff with them, which made me feel really great. <laughs> I just want to say, like, you, you, you also have such good chemistry with Jeremy. Like, this relationship felt so believable, and like the joy and the pain just it cut me apart a little bit in a in a good way because there's this particular scene, especially where you're like receiving it's your birthday and you're receiving news about your um her your friend who she's pregnant. And but your face, like you, the way you use your face in that scene to go from like excitement to like sadness. Like I have been in that situation, especially as I'm getting older in my relationship and kind of like thinking about things like that. Like yeah. I started crying, <laughs> Aww, and I was like, sorry. "This is beautiful. I've never like seen it pers- like portrayed like this in such a beautiful, subtle way." Because I feel like a lot of the time it's always played up in this like very dramatic, like, "Oh, she just wants a family and a baby," but this is much more like realistic. I don't know. It just felt so real and so touching and 
deep. I don't know. I just yeah. I mean, yeah. I totally agree. When I <laughs> sorry, well, I like totally just like rambled at you. <laughs> I agree. I'm a great actor. No, I I, I think um, <laughs> I think. What I really, uh, like, what drew me to the script was how, like, subtle it was. I mean, that's sort of, they're, like, the kings of that, right? But Yeah. And how realistic it was, because I think, like you, like, I am uh, quickly approaching 40, and, like, these things that I never thought about, like, in my 20s about, like, marriage and kids are now, like, this huge thing in my life that I think about all the time for someone who, like, thought that she would never want that kind of stuff ever in yeah. my whole entire life. It was funny, like, Jeremy, I think... He, he was like, you know, does this read true? Like, he, like, didn't want to put words, like, like this is what women want. They want to get married, you know? And I was like, no, this is, like, a real part of life. And I I think it's a very realistic thing to yeah. want to have, like, a long-term relationship with someone and, um, you know, for whatever reason you want it or whatever reason you want to get married. I, I, I just felt like I really related to the character in so many ways. You yeah. have no idea. <laughs> well, and I also feel like people don't, like... I, a lot of people are like, oh, women don't always just want kids. I'm like, that's true. But sometimes, like, our brains malfunction. And, like, for me, and it's just, like, all of a sudden you're thinking about it, even though you never thought you would. And you're like, my brain is betraying me. But, like, it's a real thing that happens. Like, and right. it seems and do, dishonest to not acknowledge that. Exactly. And I think we do this dichotomy where we're like, either you're a really strong woman, you don't want to be married and you don't want to have kids or you're a weak woman and this is like what we do on screen and you want kids and you want to be married and I'm like but maybe there's something in between yes. and that's okay <laughs> there's like also. A little, yeah exactly like maybe you fluctuate between the two and like that's just okay like that's totally fine and and I just do find I mean just to get off on a tangent but like if you do want that and you don't have like a strong partner and you don't have a strong base everything else is gonna be hard for you so of course it's something you're gonna ask for you know what I mean you're gonna ask for the things that you want and I think isn't that what feminism has been trying to do for us is that we can ask for the things that we want and not feel ashamed of it yeah exactly oh yeah cool um and then Jeremy Garner uh, the thing that this is his third feature. And the thing that I, I really admire about him is being able to do so much with so little. What was it like working with him on this movie? Um, great. He's awesome. I, so I am a big fan of the battery. Like I said, so yes. I already like had just a really, a real artistic crush on these guys. <laughs> and then Fair. I came in and they were super nice and they're not the kind of guys to be like, here's a bunch of notes on every single thing. Like they kind of just let me be and do whatever I wanted to do. And Jeremy's like a theater guy. So everything about him is like, you know, he, he, he wants to work through it and then do all the theater stuff. And like, I, yeah, all that stuff is really fun for me. And there, there is a scene in the movie, which I'm sure you know what I'm going to talk about. And it's the scene <laughs> where it's like 12 minutes of us talking and it doesn't cut the whole time. Yes. And yes. when he told me about that, I was like, uh, I'm a movie actress. I don't do theater. I don't do live shit for a reason. Uh, and he's like, no, no, it's going to be great. And like, we had to shoot that thing many times for me to feel happy. But I was like, so happy that we did it afterwards. But that's just like the kind of sort of artistic uh, chances that I think they're willing to take in their stuff. Cause they're like, you know, fuck the system. We make small movies for a certain subsect of people. And like, they want to make what they want to make, which is rad. And that turned out to be one of my favorite scenes of the of the movie was oh. that because it, it just it felt so down to earth, so real. And then like <laughs> transitioning from that to the ending, just so fantastic. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about the ending because I don't want to spoil yeah. it. But man, talk about it. amazing, amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I have one last question. Um, is peanut noir a real thing? And what did it taste like? Uh, no, it was just some random bottles of wine that they mocked up. But it is based on some true story of Jeremy's that he, like all of the things were based on something that had happened to him. And I think there was a peanut wine of some sort that it was based on. But um, I wow. have the bottle, the prop bottle up in my room somewhere. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. Amazing. I just thought it was so funny. I was like, peanut noir, I want to know if this is real. <laughs> <laughs> we should have made that for the release. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, so uh, so what's what's next for you? I, I think you have a couple movies that are in some form of being worked. Maybe oh, coming out? Yes, trying. Um, trying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm in post on a couple things. I directed a movie last year that I wrote um, called 12 Hour Shift. Okay. It yep. stars Angela Bettis. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah, of course. This is a horror podcast. Y'all know who that is. <laughs> um, and David Arquette is in it and some other cool. really amazing actors. Um, and that is in post. And we'll do festivals. And I'm also... I wrote a movie that I starred in that Natasha Kamani directed. Natasha did Imitation Girl. Yes. That, um, it's for Dread, and it's like a slasher movie. And that one is also in post. So we're kind of at the, like, weird see us at festivals sometime this summer or fall situation. Okay. Hell yeah. yeah. I'm so excited. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Hopefully uh, hopefully some festivals. Yeah. Ones that people will go to, I'm, I'm sure, actually. Cool. Awesome. Um, so... We can quickly talk about what we have been watching recently before we start talking about the movie you've brought. Um, the Bonkers movie. Oh my gosh, I'm so <laughs> excited. Terry, what have you been watching? Um, so when this comes out, a, a review will be will be out. But um, I, right now, while we're recording, um, I've been watching Lock and Key, the uh, oh, Netflix yeah. adaptation of the uh, Joe Hill uh, comic mm-hmm. series. Have you guys read it? Yes. No, yeah, I have yeah, not. yeah. I love it. Oh, I love it so much. And this is doing a really good job of adapting it. Like Hell I'm yeah. so happy to see them finally releasing it after there was like going to be a movie. It was going to be on Fox. It was going to be on Hulu. Like this has had so many false starts and I'm so excited that it finally landed at Netflix and they're, they're doing it justice. There's it's, it feels kind of like a remix in some ways. Cause like the story is not being told in the same kind of order as the comic book, mm-hmm. but it feels very true to it. It feels very true to the themes. And it's just, it's such a delight to see it come to life. Um, cool. That's but awesome. that's been taking up my time. I'm about, I'm about halfway through. And so far, it's it's just, it's so good. Cool. And <laughs> uh, that's like the maybe third time they've made it too, right? Right. I, I know that they've, I think they've, haven't they shot like two pilots, one for mm-hmm. Fox, and then I thought they did one for Hulu? Maybe. And I can't remember. I thought it was but... for HBO, but maybe I just think everyone's on HBO. <laughs> That might be part of it. I'm very. I excited just remember that, like, yeah, it, and that that's gonna. Well, by the time this is out, it will be out. But um, it's uh, I, I'm really I can't wait for people to be able to see it. But that's basically what I've been uh, binging. <laughs> what cool. about you, Mary Beth? Um, I have had a pretty rough week at work, so yeah. I have been um a little bit behind on my horror watching. I've been uh, binge watching a uh, makeup <laughs> competition show, <laughs> which is not. <laughs> horror related called glow up and it's amazing because i need to turn my brain off after work so i have been a little bit behind on my viewing i watched after midnight but we talked about that and i'm watch. i'm in the middle of watching the wave um just coming out on friday with justin long it's real i love it so far so i just have to finish the screener um brea what have you been watching um i just finished the watchman 
Oh, yeah. Uh, which I really liked. I'm sure you've talked about that. Um, I haven't watched... Oh, oh. well, the other thing I'm doing is I'm about to go... By the time this comes out, I will have already shot it, I guess. But I'm going to go be in... this. Uh, there's a short film called The Stylist. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. And we're we making... A, she's making a feature and I'm in it. Oh, um, yes. So she's been giving me assignments, which I very much appreciate. It's my favorite thing to, like, get in a director's head. And so... Wow, I just did a rewatch of Black Swan. Oh, cool. And I just watched oh, wow. Robert Altman's Three Women for the first time, which I had never Ooh. seen, oh. uh, which is insane. Um, yeah, yeah. So I've been doing a bunch of research, stuff like that. And then I'm a big reader. I do a reading podcast, so I like read mm-hmm. all the time and have to keep up with all of that. So I've been doing a lot of reading because it's been cool. the holidays, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for The Stylist. I am too. Yeah, I think it's gonna be great. The script is really cool. Um, I mean, by the time this comes out, I'll tell. I'll, I will. We will know. But uh, but uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's been uh, the the build up to it's been really fun. Cool. And so, because you'll be you'll be in Kansas City then for uh, for Panic Fest, right? That's true. Around that that time, because I'll be there. Oh yeah, and we're trying to go, but uh, we're shooting right during it. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be the uh, third time I've seen After Midnight because I'm definitely I'm not going to miss it in the theater. Okay, (laughs) I like to come in. This is not giving away too much, but I like to come in at the very end and watch the audience reaction to the end. Hell yeah. That's my favorite. Like we all we stand in Christian and Jeremy and Dave Lawson and I have stood in the doorway many times and like watched the audience reaction because it's very fun. It's so good. Yeah. (laughs) So awesome. now that we've talked about what we've been watching now, let is let us go back to the past and talk about the film that you brought with you today. Brea, what film are we discussing? Uh, we're discussing Return to Oz because you said a movie that scared me as a kid and this movie is the scariest movie I could think of. Um, yes, uh, it scared me as a 26-year-old. So, um, <laughs> so for those of you unfamiliar with the film, um, Dorothy saved from Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz uh, has been saved from a psychiatric experiment by a mysterious girl and is somehow called back to Oz when a vain witch and the gnome king destroy everything that make the land magical land beautiful. Um, what follows is a fever dream that ups the ante of anything in the original Wizard of Oz. So, w- like, <laughs> which, what thing among the plethora of things scared you the most in this movie as a kid? I'm going to be real with you. I have a real issue with that that um, description of the movie because, first of all, it doesn't feel like it. It's like they kind of talk about it because I'm so familiar with the original, which I also loved. It's not a sequel in any way. Like same right. characters, yeah. but different take on all of them yeah uh dorothy's younger you know than she yes. was and then it's like she keeps talking about it i mean i think it's like a sequel to the book more than anything where it's based yeah. on the sequels to the book but yeah. um if people haven't seen it don't expect somewhere over the rainbow instead it's no. you know horrifying woman who takes her own head off it's horrible um <laughs> it's like a mad max post-apocalyptic version of of the of the land of oz it's ridiculous well it actually is truly post-apocalyptic right because oz right. has been destroyed yeah. you know yeah. and there's all these it's basically you know similar to i guess the structure of the first one where you know dorothy goes from thing to thing to thing and and is traveling to this specific place and this this during this one she's trying to travel 
to find the scarecrow and uh, find the gnome king and 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 all that. But uh, but yeah, she just keeps discovering new people and new things along the way. But every person she discovers, person I use that in quotes, is horrifying. <laughs> every single thing is horrifying. All of the bad guys are so scary. And I, yep. I I I guess the main thing I could say scared me when I was a kid were the Wheelers, which okay. were like the major yeah. bad guys of the movie. Or I guess they're not the major bad. They're like the Bat guy sidekicks. They're the equivalent of like the flying monkeys in the first one. Right, exactly. They're all, but they're worse because they can. They, I just, ugh, I texted Terry when I was watching it. I'm like, these things are the worst I've ever seen because I've never seen this movie. Um, so this was my first time watching it. Wow, it, wow. I know <laughs> it was my first time watching it. It <laughs> absolutely freaked me out. Like, I don't understand how any child. This is a Disney movie. Like, yeah. how could any child watch this movie and not have? horrifying nightmares well this was that dark era of children's movies too yeah. where we were just right. watching things that were so much scarier than what is available for children now like <laughs> this labyrinth uh dark crystal like yeah. all of these movies are just really horrifying when you watch them now as a, even as adults and you're like how were these the ones these were the things that were available to kids yeah it's really strange right well and, and last week we talked to chelsea stardust about um the watcher in the woods which was another oh, disney yeah. movie yeah. and it's it it's this period of time that is just like disney just was going for the the, the fucking freak factor they like I, and they hired like directors that were known for other adult work i mean like this director walter Murch, he came from editing and sound design on like uh the godfather american graffiti apocalypse <laughs> now and, and surprise now he's making this movie <laughs> right 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 and so that he he comes to this and like it i'm like wow i it just it's it's such a different disney than the disney that um we see today I yeah. can't imagine them releasing something like this that would be PG. No, no, I mean, it's almost not because it's so scary. And there's literally a lady who walks around. She has like all like 30 something heads and she like takes off her head and replaces it with another head. And that can't be PG, right? I mean, this, that's it's so <laughs> no. scary. No, it's horrifying. Yeah, it, and, very scary. That, and that's like what, what I remember from this movie as being as a kid. I remember I remember the wheelers. I remember particularly the, the one where it looks around the corner at them and it's just like the the face mask. Oh, and yeah. That Ugh. that image was 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 stuck in my head. And then so was the the princess, Princess Mombi Mombi, who had her like you said, 30 heads in cabinets and she just like keeps replacing them. And the part that like terrified me as a as a kid was was when Dorothy's reaching for the powder of life and then oh, the yeah. The eyes open and all of them start screaming her name. Oh, so scary. It's like, nope. wow. Yeah. It's so scary. I, yeah. And rewatching it this time. So I watched it yesterday and was like, oh, wow, this is as scary as I remember. And there's all these things that are horrifying to me as an adult. Like, yes. for example, um, you know, her aunt and uncle are like, you keep remembering this crazy place called Oz. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take you to a place and get you shock therapy. Like, that was like, the worst we're part. parents. Like, the first, like, 30 minutes are just, like, Dorothy being told she's insane yeah. and, like, get, getting put into an institution and people are screaming around her and she's like, hey, are those people screaming? They're like, no, Don't it's worry fine. About Don't it. worry about it. <laughs> Although I will say, like, bonus points to all those actors because all the actors in the institution 
are later in Oz. And you, I didn't know that when I was a kid. Until I watched <laughs> it this time, either. I was like, oh, the Gnome King is the main guy doing the electroshock therapy. Mombi is like his assistant who wears an insane dress in the insane asylum. <laughs> yes, she right? is wearing... A, like who wears that to work that's in itself scary that you would wear like this victorian era dress with like i don't know it's like insane yeah she's like a scary nanny from like a victorian gothic horror movie yeah like, she does not look like she belongs there yeah well and yeah. then i thought like what was really impressive to me was like the stop motion like rock effect like Great, the, yeah that was really cool i wasn't expecting to be like so impressed by the visual effects in this movie but Damn if the Gnome King wasn't terrifying in the way they like they made him and then his at the very end when the minions like come out of the rocks when they're running away. Oh yeah. Like, damn. Still free. It's like that's intense. Well, all of the like all of the special effects and the like um the practical effects are just amazing. Like yeah. I actually looked up so there's this character, if people haven't seen it, called TikTok, and yes. he's one of the first things that uh Dorothy finds when Dorothy goes and like everyone's been turned to stone and she's like, Where did Oz go? This place that was so magical <laughs> for me, and now here I am, a tiny girl looking around <laughs> and everyone's been turned to stone and these men with wheels for hands are chasing me around <laughs> in like steampunk makeup. And like yeah. and then she goes and she finds this essentially like um like sort of a steampunk type robot for lack of a better word um and i was looking up how they did it and the practical effects of it are insane like the guy who did it had to be bent over at all times bent in half um because he was in the costume and then he controlled parts of it upside down so he had to watch on this video thing upside down it's crazy you should look it up it's like insane how they did that costume yeah, it's all practical. I mean, because it's, you know. Yeah. Well, then, like, the, the costuming especially is so impressive. Like, yeah. Also, something about it. So, at the, um, like, with the scarecrow, I didn't, I couldn't figure out why the scarecrow on this was so much freakier to me. And then I realized oh. the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz is obviously a, per- is like, very obviously a person wearing makeup. And in yeah. this one, it's like a full on, like, mask and costume. And I'm like, this is just too uncanny. I do not like this at all. It's but again, horrifying. Like, the it's costuming horrifying. is so good. And like, um, Jack, pumpkin, the pumpkin head boy. Horrifying. I love him. I want him to be, he's both, ter- he's like my terrifying horror boyfriend. Like I uh, love him, but I also want him to get away from me. I, something horrifying to me watching the, this time around was he kept calling her mom. mom and I was like, oh, yes. oh, oh Jack's mom like, issues, mother issues. I'm sort of like, what is happening? And I actually looked that up too. Cause I was like, what is this deal? And it's like this whole thing where what they reveal at the end where like oh this little girl what this other little girl was created him and is his mother or whatever but i was just like this guy's mom issues i cannot handle like in all that dorothy's going through and then he has all of a sudden he has this (laughs) this pumpkin calling her mom like this horrifying even though you're not can i call you mom and she's like uh sure she's like i guess so and then and like the chicken uh the animatronics in the chicken are amazing (laughs) but but the chicken's voice is is scary (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's like a lady chicken voice that like i don't know when she first started talking i was like this is scary like watching it now yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the whole movie is a really frightening oh and then the scariest part of the whole movie if you like really want to come down to it is at the end at the very end dorothy is like you know in oz and she's like one and put oz back together and everyone's like stay and be queen be queen and they all start yelling for her to be queen and stay and the whole time i was thinking this is all happening in her head like (laughs) like, really it's just like one woman's 
like 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 journey on like a like a narcissistic crisis in her own head is that what we're really <laughs> dealing with like that's what return yes. to oz's core is it's yes, horrifying it is. <laughs> that is like, awful don't think about it too hard or you will be very upset with I like mean, these childhood classic movies I, <laughs> it's only but, a classic but, to us i don't know if it's a classic <laughs> to other uh, fair what <laughs> like well, like jumped out to me though at the very end, even when she's back in Kansas and she like sees the the um, Ozma in in the mirror, and she's like, "Oh, Auntie M, see, it's real," and and she's like, "No, don't tell her." And so, like, what is the moral that you're not supposed to like talk about your mental illness or about like that your the imaginary stuff that you have because otherwise people are going to toss you in the insane side? Like, what's going on I, with this story? Kind of is the lesson we learn, I guess, because when she talked about it openly, and they were like you get electroshock therapy, <laughs> which is really horrifyingly scary. And people are screaming right. the whole time. And I mean, there's a entire scary, other scary movie, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is all about that. And we treat right. that like a really scary thing. I just don't even know who was like, you know what? This is a good idea for children. This is like, yeah. <laughs> children need to be confronted with their imaginations and how t- fucking terrifying they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't imagine too much, and if you do, just don't tell adults about it. <laughs> otherwise, we're gonna all seem crazy. Um, yeah, the, and like all of the like the fact that the gnome king at the end. This was something I started making notes at some point because I was like, the gnome king's end goal, his end game is he wants to eat them? Like, that's awesome. Right. Scary. Exactly. Is that it? Like, His whole wants- game is he's like, I'm going to toy with them in this horrifying game of like, essentially what's like a children's version of Saw. Like, where it's like they have to like yes. choose, uh, find yes. their friends among these ornaments and if they, they get turned into an ornament, <laughs> if they choose wrong. And then, uh, and then the Unum King's like, sorry, you guys all failed. I'm going to eat you now. <laughs> it's like such like, a weird end game. It's such a weird end game. Well, and so we had tweeted about this. Like I had tweeted about it. Terry tweeted about it. And we got a lot of responses, just like brief ones about people saying how much it scared them as a kid. And yeah. it's like, you guys are not the only ones. Like, And, it, and a lot of people like Brian uh, Moda was saying um, it's still creepy to him. And um, Mondo Volgare also says he credits this as one of the movies that got him into horror as a kid. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, which I could, I buy. I definitely buy. Did this get you into horror? I mean, probably is sort of a gateway drug. I mean, like, <laughs> the, uh, like it's weird to think about because a lot of us who are like horror into horror now, I feel like have these sort of like touchstones that we all agree on. Like, like yeah. my fiance owned this, you know, like he owned oh, this, okay. he owns Dark Crystal. I don't own DVDs, but he, uh, I guess I do now because, you know, we're combining our assets. But, um, <laughs> but I, DVDs now. Yeah, now I own DVDs. Uh, but, but like we own all of these and we know all of these like old Disney movies like, like Labyrinth or, um, uh, the never ending story. That's a really dark oh, one yeah, too that, that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but like all of these ones that we sort of look at as touchstones. So it must have influenced us all in some weird dark way <laughs> where we're like, we, <laughs> we can handle the dark shit because here it is. And we watched it as kids. I remember like staying up and like just being so scared. Those wheelers were going to come in my bedroom at night. I, I don't know where I thought I was, but <laughs> they're, they're just I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> just, they're just, terrifying and they don't move like a normal thing should it's just everything about them is like designed to be unsettling and then they they the way they threaten people is by talking about i'm gonna rip you apart and tire you into tiny pieces i'm like 
this is not for kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And they have like almost weird clown makeup. So they're bordering on that clown right. scariness, you know? And they wear well, and these it's... crazy clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a mix of like whimsical and then utter horror. Yeah. Cause they laugh real crazy. Like they laugh yeah. like crazy, like, like, you know, like really almost like witch like in some ways. Yeah. Well, and this movie just sort of like antes up everything that was that terrified people about the original Wizard of Oz. Like I have some friends that don't watch horror movies and they they talk about how much Wizard of Oz scared them. And I'm like, okay, well, have you seen this movie Mm -hmm. where instead of flying monkeys, you have these Mad Max style wheelers or the scarecrow? Well, the scarecrow, this is even more weirder. But how about a pumpkin man head who keeps calling Dorothy his mom? (laughs) But then there's the one creature we haven't talked about, and that is Gump. Oh, yeah. Great. Frankenstein creature put together from plants and sofas and a mounted head. Yeah. Like, and then you sprinkle the the powder of life on him, and he's like, real. He's I like him because he's real, like, like resigned to his position in life. Like, he's like, well, I guess I'm a flying couch now. And then he just flies them wherever they need to go, and he seems real happy about it. Um, For the most part, doesn't even care if he's a couch or just a head on a wall. (laughs) Doesn't seem to give a shit. She's like, yeah, whatever, just take me around. It's cool. Like, at the very end, when they just, like, have him on, like, a pole. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. I guess he's just, like, a canon character now that everyone just carries around. They, they, like, pull his head off of his body as the king is eating his body. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They just pulled it off so the king wouldn't eat him. But I I guess with the powder of life, I mean... I don't, I don't know what the, like, <laughs> ground rules are for the powder of life, but I guess What's the logistics you don't feel pain of other parts of your body once it's been disconnected from your head because he seemed fine once his body got eaten. I don't know. <laughs> so ridiculous. Wow. What a ridiculous film. I'm so glad I finally got to watch it. It was like, again, this podcast continues to give me reasons to watch films I, like, know I should see, but have never really, like tried to seek out so now i've seen it and now i can never watch it, and now i will never watch it again yeah. i mean on the positive side is as a kid i really wanted a lunch pail tree oh yeah i know that's some real fun fun stuff oh and we haven't even mentioned the fact that there's a desert there that when you oh go into it you turn completely into sand and where was that in the first oz movie that wasn't there <laughs> and all of a sudden they're like oh, right? yeah this desert this is like just a part of oz deadly desert we all know it we all are familiar yeah. with the deadly uh-huh. desert <laughs> and like the, the mountains she's like oh yeah these are the mountains i'm like the, what the fuck because like, i have never read the book no, so i'm like dorothy no. how the fuck did you know about the mountains like you were you were only in the emerald city and on the, the yellow brick road like how do you know all right. this <laughs> right i know and they at some point even allude they're like oh this is where i landed last time and i'm like that's not where you landed it's such a weird <laughs> like and as a kid it really bothered me that it wasn't a direct sequel like i could not <laughs> handle that because i was just right. like but nobody looks the same like she's not wearing the same clothes like everything really bothered me about that but i i really loved this movie i also was really bothered that toto was a different breed of dog and that and also that toto was not a bigger part of the movie because toto is the best i played toto in my kindergarten play (laughs) i have a deep connection with toto (laughs) you've really done all your character work on toto and you're like i really got into his character and like really embodied his um motivations yeah so, i mean i yeah. should say we let like anybody listening is going to be yelling at the podcast and they're like it's going to be they're like it's it's based on the books not on the movie and like we get it we know but it's still weird <laughs> it's like weird it's still, it's still, still weird, weird. weird. <laughs> well and, and then i was actually as soon as it was done i leaned over to my boyfriend and said was l frank bomb is that his name um was he the guy who wrote the books is he okay <laughs> <laughs> my, boyfriend, my boyfriend just went absolutely yeah. not <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
well, and the original covers of the books are so creepy too. I remember I had them as a kid, and they those gave me nightmares more than anything else, like the creepy covers and like the illustrations. As I remember the creepy covers of the kid of the books, I may be wrong. Did sort of look like the scarecrow in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think like the book, the this movie emulated like the illustration style clo- like more closely, which is scary. Yeah. <laughs> Piggybacking off of that, I uh, I was shocked when Dorothy is just so randomly talking about the Tin Man who had an enchanted axe and cut off all of his limbs. Oh, right. Isn't that a crazy? That's like a little like. Wait, what? What did he do? Like, <laughs> which is from the books, also, right? But it is in the books, yeah. And I was like, I don't remember this in the Wizard because I've never read the books. And I was like, I don't remember this in Wizard of Oz. And I, I did some looking, and it that is what happened in the book. But I'm like, holy shit! It is that crazy thing too of like, I guess in that moment I was like, I guess I understand why the parents are here taking her to do something because if she's talking about someone in her dreams cutting off his limbs, like that's really oh, normal. Jesus. Like that's a little scary as a parent, right? Uh, yeah, that would definitely be worrisome. <laughs> uh, but the cast too. We haven't even talked about the fact that this is for. I don't. Is it Feruza? Oh, Feruza Balk. Yeah. Yeah, her first role, her first like feature film. Oh, is it? I I didn't know yeah. for sure, but um, she's incredible. She had like two TV. She really is. She's inc- she is incredible. It's like, such it's- a dark and kind of complicated role for an actor, like a young actor, and you're watching it like wow, she's really, like, pulling this off and you see all of her thought process and, like, I, yeah, I really thought it worked. Especially because most of the, almost the entire movie, she's interacting with, like, either people in costume or you can't, it's like, she's almost, like, not interacting with people. Oh, right. And so it is really amazing to see her interact with all of those characters and really, like, like you said, it's a really strong performance from her, for especially for a young person to really interact with TikTok and Jack and the chicken and Gump. And it's just, it was so impressive. Yeah, you're right. Like, there's probably only, like, 10% of the movie is she acting with people. Yep. (laughs) Everyone else is like, oh, this is your animatronic chicken that you carry around the entire movie. Like, enjoy. Uh, Yep. Sounds about right. (laughs) Which is, I mean, as an actor, it's hard to act across from nobody. And I can't even imagine doing it as a kid. That would be so crazy. Just as a testament to her skills as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. And then Piper Laurie. (laughs) <laughs> plays oh, Auntie yeah. M. Carrie's mom herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's great. All the actors are really good. And like I said, the bad guys are all amazing because I never realized it was the same people right. playing all of those first roles that you see. And then all of a sudden, here they are as like, you know, even the wheelers, they're all the same guys in the institution. Right, yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't either wow. until I looked at it this time because I was like, where are these wheelers now? Because there's one in particular with like like big eyebrows that I really can I could draw from memory, you know, like I like right. he's really like ingrained in my head, and I I was like, is that guy around? Like, could I hire him? Like, is he is still acting? Because <laughs> he's obviously very scary to me. I don't remember what I what I discovered, but <laughs> but call me if you're still around, <laughs> Lane Wheeler. Man, oh man, <laughs> wow. So uh, so thank you, Bria, for joining us to talk about Return to Oz. This movie was a trip, and I am so glad we were able to revisit it. Where uh, can our listeners find you, and what do you have coming up? Oh, well, they can find me every week on my podcast, which is called Reading Glasses, if you like to read. That's, um, yeah. And also on Instagram and Twitter. I'm not on Facebook, but Instagram and Twitter as Bria Grant. And, um... 
yeah, you can look uh, look for After Midnight uh, coming on uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day. It's playing in some theaters, but then you can also uh, buy it online. It really helps us if you buy it online or if you just add it to your watch list on Amazon, like things like that just really help the movie to get out there. Please do that, everybody. And it comes with the Scarred Podcast uh, seal of approval. It's so good. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Uh, what was your experience with Return to Oz growing up? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can tag us on Twitter at scarredpodcast, and we might feature you in a future episode. You can also reach out to both of us on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gaily Dreadful. And like I said, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our theme song. Thank you to everyone for listening and stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>